This is Kit Simons and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Focus podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair and Fulham eventually comfortably saw off a Neil Harris side under the cottage lights for the second time this season on Friday night, following up the earlier 4-0 victory over Millwall with a 2-0 win against his current Cardiff City side to guarantee at least a spot in this season's championship playoffs for Fulham. Mitro's back amongst the goals and Josh Onimer continued his good current run of form, chipping in with his second goal in three games. Joining me to look back at the action, firstly, is a young man who likes a good nutritious feast as much as the next man. It's Will Oakley. Also with us is a man who's breathed summer into November with his facial hair, making us all cry. July've got to be fucking joking. It's Bulldog. Fulham. Before we start, as we record on Saturday morning, we are waking up to the very sad news that England legend Jack Charlton has passed away. He formed part of the World Cup winning defence in 1966 alongside our very own George Cohen. And like Cohen, was a one-club man who played 773 times for Leeds United, then went on to have a 23-year spell in football management, which came to an end after 10 years as Republic of Ireland manager. Condolences to all of Jack's family. Jack Charlton, we salute you. So, as per usual, let's have a quick lineup check. Cyrus Christie came back in at right-back in place of Adoy. Harry Arter, Harrison Reed, and Josh Onomer continued in midfield in Tom Kearney's absence. And of course, the big man Mitro was back to lead the line with our new permanent signing, Anthony Knockhart. No real surprises there, Will? I don't think so. I think for me, probably the biggest rep- surprise was Christie coming in for Adoy because I thought Adoy was pretty solid against Forrest. But then again, I've started to like Christie a bit recently. He, he's been playing a lot better than. He did definitely in the Prem and he's picked up a bit. Bobby Reid keeping his place, but again, it's not something that's a massive surprise. So I think it was a solid lineup overall. Maybe it's just a confidence issue because the team do seem to be growing in confidence. And sometimes I, I feel like Dennis Adoy plays because he's a bit more defensive minded. Whereas if you've got Joe Bryan and Cyrus Christie both playing fullbacks who both like to get forward, maybe it's just a sign of confidence that Parker's got in, in the fact that we are defending better as a team. The first 20 minutes or so, there wasn't much action, was there? It was quite stodgy midfield play, lots of passing, but no real threat. But there was a long-range effort from Harrison Reed from us, and then Anthony Knockart handballed it a couple of times, bizarrely, and gave away a couple of silly free kicks. There was a defensive lapse from Harry Arter that gave Cardiff the game's first clear chance when Mendes Lang brought a good save out of Marek Rodek at his near post. That was just before the drinks break. was a pretty slow start, Will. Parker obviously noticed that because he must have said something at the drinks break that changed how he played. But yeah, like like you say, nothing really stood out as a clear chance. And I think it was at that point I was getting quite worried. This was just going to be one of them games where we pass it around and don't get any shots out of it. But obviously not in the end. Yeah, we mentioned the drinks break. And one thing which I think is quite something that people don't or haven't seen from Parker up until now is... During the drinks breaks, he's very animated when he's talking to the players. And I think a lot of people say, well, he, he hasn't got the players on side uh, or people have said that in the past. Um, he doesn't motivate the players. But you see the way that he's talking to those players, Baldo, during those drinks breaks. I feel like they definitely play for him. 
Yeah, you wonder if it's maybe a motivational thing now that the players have realised that, uh, you know, oh shit, playoff positions are up for grabs and automatic promotion is still very much up for grabs at this stage. So maybe there's a bit of a team cohesion sessions going on to try and get the players motivated and say, right, let's actually knuckle down and do this, lads. And as you say, that's sort of carrying on into the drinks break where it's a chance for Parker to get to get his views across and change a couple of things up. You've got to remember as well, Parker comes in for a load of stick, but no team in that division has won more games at home than us this season. We were level on Brentford last night, but now we're out on our own. I, I can't remember how, maybe it's 12 home wins or something. I, I just feel like Parker gets gets unnecessary stick sometimes, and he's still pulling results out the bag at the moment. Yeah, I mean, some of the stick is unnecessary, but at the same time, some of it has been has been warranted, like the way he dealt with the dealt with the Brentford and the Leeds games, for instance. Absolutely, you know, losing, you know, aggregate five nil against the teams who are around us in the division. It opens itself up for criticism the way that he's the way that he's managed to deal with that. All right, well, let's come on to the goal then. I'm going to come to you, Will. Uh, in the 35th minute, Mitro's pulled to the floor when he's challenging for a Cyrus Christie cross. Referee has no hesitation in giving the penalty. Was it a penalty for you? Uh, I think, yeah, definitely. But, I mean, Mitrovic probably could have stayed on his feet a bit better. We know he's a strong guy, but the fact is, it's a shirt pull in the box, and, and that's that's the rule. So, yeah, definitely a penalty for me. I think Mitrovic was in a case of making the most of it. You know, was it a soft penalty? You can argue, but you can't deny the fact that there was some contact there. And it's up to Mitrovic to try and you know sell it as much as he can because there was a penalty claim in the first game back at the Cardiff City Stadium where he was more or less wrestled to the ground by one of the defenders. It may have been Sean Morrison, I can't remember. But and he and he didn't and he didn't get given them. So he knows that he has to sell the whole thing to try and get the penalty. It's been eight games since we last saw Mitro score. Eight games. He was suspended for three of those, so he hadn't scored in, in five. His last goal was the last-minute winner against Swansea at the Cottage a short while after he missed that late penalty. He was captain for the night last night in Tom Kearney's absence, and that was his 24th of the season. And what have we got now? Three games left, and then obviously the playoffs, which we've qualified for as well. Do you think he could get another six and make it up to 30, Will? I'm not sure. I'd, lo- I'd love him to, but... I think kind of something around 27, 28 maybe is a bit more realistic. But I mean, you never know with the form that we're in, he could he could get 30. It's definitely possible, but just not not yeah. 100% sure on that yet. And, and let's, let's be honest, 2-0 flattered Cardiff, didn't it, in, in this game? I, I feel like we could have won that 5 or 6-0. As all the while the chances are being created, then, you know, he, he's he's going to have a chance, I think. But at the same time, take a look at the chances that Cardiff created. I mean, you say the 2-0 flatters them, and it, and it could have been 5 or 6. But the fact is, we were sloppy at the back. And even straight away after Mitrovic scored, one of their players uh, went and hit the crossbar. And I think there was a couple more chances in the periods after that. So to say that 2-0 was a flattering score, let's not be let's not be hasty here. They we did give them chances to get back into the game, and we were lucky that they just didn't take they just didn't take them. You're right. Joe, Joe Rawls hit the bar, but it was it was a speculative effort at best, wasn't it, from the edge of the box? Uh, it would have been an amazing goal if that had gone in. Were there that many clear-cut opportunities for them? There was the Mendes-Lang one, which, which Rodak saved, um, but they were hardly ripping us to pieces. I, I never really felt at any point in that game, we're, un, we're under the cosh here. Yeah, I think you're right. Once we scored, I don't think they were really getting back into it, apart from maybe start of the second half, but... Once we had our one goal, 
something that we haven't seen from Parker a lot this season. We looked like we were going to go for another. And obviously in the end we did, which was great. Just after Cardiff hit the bar, Alex Smithies in the Cardiff goal made an absolutely stunning save from Bobby Reid. I was wondering why Neil, Neil, Neil Etheridge was no longer in the Cardiff goal, but all the while Alex Smithies is making saves like that. You can see why, why he's keeping Etheridge out. Yeah, absolutely top class, but it goes back to, and I know I'm going to be a walking bag of cliches this whole podcast, just as I have been in many of the podcasts this season. But what did Bobby Reid do? He took a shot from distance, and it, it's something that, no, I've been crying out for for the part for the past couple of weeks, and we've seen the damage it can do. So by all means, let's let's keep trying it. You never know, you never know what's going to happen. But I mean, I much and I'd much rather Bobby Reed take those chances or at least try them because it's less embarrassing than the chance that he missed a couple of a couple of minutes later when he more or less took the ball off Mitrovic's head. You know, the ball the ball coming from out wide, and Bobby Reed just gets the little flick where Mitrovic was. You know, probably screaming for him to leave it, uh, but Bobby Reed just didn't get the message. The ball flashed across goal, which is a chance for Bobby Reed. He didn't need to leave that though. He should be scoring that. He's about I, I, four, I, four yards out, and he's glanced a header, and he should have just that should have been in the back of the net. There's no question about it. That's, oh yeah, that's absolutely. The other side of Bobby Reed, isn't it? You you see him uh, with a magnificent effort that's bending towards the top corner that on another day is a wonder goal, and then seconds later he misses a stupid shot like that. All right, well, it wasn't our best half of football in the first half, but on another day, we could have been 3-0 up. But let's come on to the second half then. Just before the hour, Baldo, was Michael Hector a tad fortunate not to get sent off for his tussle with Callum Patterson just outside our box? Yeah, I think in a VAR world, that definitely gets, uh, the Eddie Nketiah trip from a week, that definitely gets a, gets a red card. Yeah, he was very fortunate not to be sent off. But also, I'd quite like to know why Callum Patterson didn't get a booking himself for his for his part in it, because it wasn't quite a one-way thing from from Michael Hector. Karen Patterson did absolutely take part in the whole thing, so why he didn't get booked as well is is a different matter. But yeah, Michael Hector very lucky, and the good thing is the fact that he it's the the incident has been dealt with. We don't have to have a Mitrovic situation where it's retrospectively a three game ban, which you know, given our next three games coming up, would have been absolutely crucial. I'd like to just see a bit more professionalism from individuals in, during the run-in because, you know, you, you had the, the the Mitrovic one, elbow in the first minute away at Leeds is absolutely ludicrous. And now Hector's getting involved as well. And these are key players and we can't afford to lose any more key players if we're, if we're really going to try and try and see this out and, and get promoted. That's the one thing that annoyed me from last night was there was a distinct lack of discipline from, from many parts of the team, mainly with the likes of Knockhart who... Profit, uh, committed the you know the shit housing tackle that we like to see from Stephanie Hansen in the 39th minute. I don't. That's not really the minute you want to be doing that. That's a 89th minute when you're yeah. holding on to a one goal lead. The, the discipline from the team as a whole last night wasn't exactly up to scratch. And as you said, that's something that needs to be eradicated going into the final three games. Yeah, we've got away with it last night, so let's let's hope it stops. And um, Fulham's first change of the night was to bring on Stefan Johansson. He came on for Harry Arthur with about half an hour left of the game. Moments after that, how did we not get a penalty, either for the clear handball or for the foul on Mitrovic, all in the same move, Will? I think for me, the handball was definitely more obvious than the foul. I'm still not 100% convinced that the foul was a penalty. But the handball is is blatant, really. His hands well away from the from the side of his body, and he's just completely stopped the ball from going across the box. Whether someone was on the end of it, I'm not sure. But nevertheless, he's just completely stopped the ball still to make him clear it. And yeah, it's just a penalty easily for me. 
I think we'd have complained a lot more about it, Baldo, if we hadn't made it 2-0 straight away after that. Uh, Stefan Johansson did really well to pull the back, ball back to Josh Onoma, and his finish was superb. What a player Onoma's becoming for us. I think it's getting to the stage where, I wouldn't say first name on the team, that's Alexander Mitrovic, but certainly he can't, he can't be dropped at this stage. Uh, I know I was very highly critical of him because there was one... We, a Friday night game at the early stage of the season might have been Swansea, might have been Huddersfield, where he was absolutely terrible. I can't, I can't remember which one, but he was coming in for some absolute pelters from the supporters, and again, quite rightly so. But the way that Scott Parker has stuck with him to the player that he is that he is now becoming has been, you know, nothing short of sensational, and could really be a key player going forward. And I think we are starting to get to the stage where we have to debate: is he a better option for us than Tom Kearney? In terms of form, I think definitely at the moment. And also, if if anybody ever asks you the question, does Scott Parker improve any of our players? Well, Josh Oliver is the perfect example um, because I think I've, I've heard that mentioned or mooted in the past as well. Scott Parker just hasn't hasn't bought on any of our players, and he has. So that that puts that one to bed. I think. Thirteen minutes to go. Then Knockart and Reed went off, and instead of chucking on a load of defenders to protect the lead. Cavalero and Cabano came on. I think I perhaps expected something a little bit more defensive, but I, I enjoyed the new attitude of not shutting up shop too early. Six minutes to go, K-Mac replaced Josh Onoma. Uh, Stephen Sest replaced Harrison Reed to see the game out. Will, were you happy with the substitutions all in all? Yeah, I think so. You can't really complain about it. Like you say, he hasn't shut up shop really early again, which he's done in the last few games. I think it was Harrison Reed had a little bit of a knot a few minutes before Stephen Sessignon came on for him. So I think that makes sense just to make sure that, you know, he's all right for the next game because he's been crucial to us. So for me, great subs and not brought centre-backs on in the 80th minute, which he usually does. So it's definitely better than usual. I think um, Harrison Reed might have a headache this morning. He did get a, a knee to the head, which was completely accidental um, when he slipped but hopefully it'll be all right for West Brom because he's he's definitely probably our most important player at the moment. If anything, as the game petered out, it was us who looked more likely to score, I thought. Firstly, Cabano had a free header that he definitely should have done better with instead of putting it straight at the keeper. Then Cavalero had a shot from an angle instead of picking out Mitro at the back post. Baldo, is it fair to say that we're coming into a bit of form just at the right time? Uh, you know, I said earlier that we may still get second. We're probably for the post. I think realistically we should be looking at the playoffs at this stage and look at what we've done in previous seasons we've hit our form just at the right time when we need to go into the playoffs so you could argue that we should really have been doing this a little bit earlier if we'd have done it when we started against Brentford then we may still be in with a more realistic chance of finishing the top two but yeah you can't complain and again this goes back to what I said earlier about teams the team motivating themselves and Scott Parker motivating the team that now's the now's the time to get serious. It's just a shame that we were doing this, you know, at earliest earlier stages in the season. Since the Leeds game, Will, if you take individual mistakes out of the equation, I feel like we've looked pretty well organized defensively. I'd even say solid. Would you agree? I think even Joe Bryan has started to look defensively, which is obviously something that I've definitely been critical about and I know other people have been about his defensive work. But against Forrest, he looked quite solid. And and so did he yesterday against Cardiff. He, I mean, he's just suddenly started to, like you say, find a bit of form. And the defence really has stepped up. Hector, like you said about his discipline, if he can just keep that inside him, 
then I think he's prime quality. And I think, so is Brian, really. But it's just about working on what we've already got now until the end of the playoffs. The more of these podcasts you record and the more you criticise players like Joe Bryan, you know, we're sitting and saying, God, he can't defend. He's defensively suspect. He's rubbish. It's like now we're saying Joe Bryan had a really good game defensively. The more you realise that actually it's probably just more to do with form and confidence and, and we shouldn't probably be so quick to, to write players off. But if players are out of form, then they shouldn't be in the team. And this is something that you've got to give Parker credit for again, because he's, he's recognised that Joe Bryan was out of form, dropped him. And now Joe Bryan, you, you wouldn't drop him again at the moment, would you? Because he looks he looks pretty good. So it's maybe that was just what he needed, just uh, just a bit of a kick up the arse. So whatever whatever's happened has, has seemed to work. Talking about Scott Parker, Aldo, four wins on the bounce now. Let's have your Parker rating. Um, I'm going to give him a 10 and for one specific reason. And that's the fact that we changed our game plan up. I sorry, I have this stat here that I've been begging to get into the podcast. So I'm going to bring it in now. I was looking at the um, uh, championship assist to goal scorer charts the other day. Basically, which player has provided the most assists for the other players, so on and so forth. And basically, the most common assist in the championship has been Joe Bryan to Alexandra Mitrovic. We've had six goals come through that method. Then if you go down the list, we've had three goals come from Ivan Caviero to Mitrovic and three goals from Bubakar Kamara to Alexandra Mitrovic. What's that saying to you? We like to have the ball down the wing, cross the ball in for Mitrovic to score. And we saw that in abundance last night, whether it be the penalty, whether it be the chance that Bobby Reid took away from him. You can see the fact that we're starting to play to Mitrovic's strength. And I need to give Scott Parker full credit for finally recognising that and going back to the system that has served us so well during the season. So I'm going to give him a ten for finally waking up to, for finally waking up to that, and then of course you know perfect all round team performance, yada yada yada, all that stuff. But specifically for that reason, I'm also going to give him uh, a ten. We we both gave him a ten after the Forest game, but it was it was a very good performance. We looked we looked uh, like we had a good shape. Just generally, his decision making throughout the game, I felt, I felt was very good as well with the substitutions. Yeah, I, I was really happy with it, and I, I can't fault it really. I, I enjoyed watching this, which I can't say I have too many times this season, but I did enjoy that game. So yeah, ten for me. What about you, Will? Well, I, I was going to go for an eight, but now I've listened to you two talk about it, I do feel that's a bit harsh. So I think I'll probably go for a nine. And for me, that that dropped rating is because. Bobby Reed started. Now, I know he almost got that goal, but he hasn't been in form leading up to this game. So for me, I think that someone like Cav has to come in for him. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I think like you say, it's probably a great performance. And I think the one thing that I'm sort of forgetting is that the games are very close together. And also Cardiff are sixth place. It's not like they're down in 12th. That They're still a high team and they've done really well under Neil Harris. So, yeah, I'll give him a 9 out of 10. Just to touch upon a point you said about Bobby Reid there, I just wonder, who's the, the better player to have on the bench? Who who would you be uh, more excited about having on the bench, Bobby Reid or even Cavalero? I think Cav probably is, but for me on paper, Cav is just better in general. So I yeah, think Cav should true. start and, and Bobby Reid's and kind of Cabano maybe should probably be the two players on the bench that should come on. Because Bobby Reid, like like we said, he can play midfield if we need a more attacking option. So I think for me, yeah, Bobby Reid on the bench and Cav starting. But that's it, really. All right. Well, I think you're you're running off now. Baldo and I are going to do the West Brom preview after this. 
Saturday morning. How do you see, firstly, the game going? And secondly, how do you see the promotion race going from this point? I can see it being a very tight affair because West Brom are one of the better defensive teams in the Championship and Slavin Bilic is a top-class manager. And when it comes to sort of seeing things out, he will know, when it comes to a battle of experience between him and Parker, it's it's no contest. So when it comes to that, that would very much favour West Brom. So it's really going to come down to whether or not our form will be enough to will be enough to overcome that. So that's going to be that's going to be incredibly incredibly difficult. All the while Brentford are winning games, we're in a very strange position in that going and beating West Brom on Tuesday could put them in a more advantageous position, couldn't it? Every single game that happens changes what you want to happen. Like yeah. after one result you may want West Brom to win because then you'll think, oh let's no, that's keeping away from Brentford. I don't want Brentford going up. But then results change again. You think, all right, now I want West Brom to lose because it means we can catch them up. Every single game changes your outcome on everything. So it's fun. If I was in neutral watching the whole promotion playoff race going on, it would be absolutely baffling and amazing to watch. But the fact that we're taking part of it changes the whole outlook completely. Yeah, it's much nicer when you either you you know your place, don't you? So it's nicer if you know that you you can't actually get catch the automatic, so you can just kind of prepare for the playoffs. But all the while, there's still that chance, even though it's it's a slim one. But like you say, just a couple of results go your way, and all of a sudden you're back in. So let's talk about the game then. How do you see us lining up? Well, I'd said this after the Forest game. You know, you don't change your winning formula. And he went and changed the winning formula. So who knows what exactly what's going to happen. But I would keep things exactly the same as it was from the Cardiff game. We've shown that it can work. We've shown that we can you know, do well against a team that's up there, uh, that's up there in the division. So why not change everything? I think Mitrovic is going to be, it's going to be an interesting battle because West Brom have got two very, very good centre-backs, particularly uh, Higazi, who I know J-Mac is a big fan of. So it's going to be an interesting battle up front and whoever wins that will probably... Uh, win the game in my mind it's such a difficult one to call and it's you, you can never second guess Scott Parker anyway you never know what what he's thinking and, and what he's going to do I expect there will be changes to the lineup I, I think we might see Dennis Adoy come back in at right back and um, just because he'll be a bit fresher we we tend not to to go for for two attacking fullbacks when we're away from home not that being at home or away from home really makes much of a difference at the moment with, with there being no crowds. But let's come on to a score prediction. I'm going to say, I, I feel like it's going to be a draw. I feel like it might be two all, but I, I want to be optimistic and I want to say we're going to win 2-1. I'm thinking the same personally. I'm thinking a one all draw, which was, I believe, the result back at Craven Cottage earlier in the season. Again, I see it being a very tight affair and it's going to be a it's going to be a battle of our form against uh, Slavin Bilic's experience. And I think they're just going to cancel each other out too much. That game back at the cottage earlier in the year, that was uh, one where Bettinelli dropped one, dropped a cross, didn't he, quite late on. We should have won that game. We definitely yeah. should have won that game. Uh, I think that kind of kick-started West Brom's season and they they went on a... a actually, did it kick-start their season or were they unbeaten up until that point? Um, well, they, obviously, they were still unbeaten after that game as well. We we definitely should have beaten them. That's that's my abiding memory from that game. And, and it was Bettinelli's fault that we didn't. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll take your word for that. I can't remember. I can't remember that game too vividly, if I'm if I'm being honest. <laughs> I mean, clearly, my my memory isn't that vivid of it either. But I, I remember. This that is why we don't record. This is why we don't record shows on a Saturday on a Saturday morning when you're still too hungover <laughs> to celebrate. We've that before. That's, that's this is right, why we do right. it straight after the game. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, let's let's leave it there then. Stick with us at the Full and Focus podcast after every game during the run-in, and we promise to bring you more of these similar ramblings. For those of you who do social media, then we'd really love it if you could please share our content whenever you see anything from us. And for those of you who don't, we appreciate you listening to the podcast all the same. We'll be back after the West Brom game, so until then, take care and see you soon. Cheers. Hey!